Welcome to the NBDA podcast, interviews with industry leaders and subject experts from across the business development world. Join us as we talk about real-world experiences, challenges, and opportunities that can take your career to the next level. The NBDA podcast is brought to you by your podcast team, where having your own podcast is as easy as being a guest on ours. Discover more at yourpodcast.team. Now here's your host, Dave Spray. Welcome to the NBDA podcast. My name is David Spray, and today we're talking with Tim Brady, the founder and chairman emeritus of Brady Chapman Holland and Associates, a risk management consulting firm that Tim founded in Houston, Texas more than 40 years ago. Tim has had business development responsibilities his entire career. He shares his three best practices, some business development success stories, as well as his philosophies on business and life for more than 80 years of life experience. Tim also discussed what he would tell his 25-year-old self if he could go back in time. Finally, and perhaps most importantly, we learned of Tim's answer to the age-old question of barbecue or Tex-Mex. Tim is a humble person who's experienced tremendous business success, and he has a lot of value to share especially for business development professionals. Now, let's get to the show. Tim, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. So where, what part of the world are you in at the moment? Uh, Where are you calling from? I'm in my office. In Houston? Here in Houston, yes. I'm in my office here in Houston. Excellent. Well, I have been so excited to do this interview because the founder of NBDA is somebody we both know pretty well, the famous Christine Spray. And when we launched this podcast, yeah, she she told me that one of the guests that she absolutely wanted on was the famous Tim Brady. So thank you for making time. The famous one would be my grandson. He's also Tim Brady. Okay. I'm not that famous anymore. How about the esteemed Tim Brady? Does that work? (laughs) I'll let you get away with whatever you'd like. Okay. So so this podcast is going to be a little different than some of the other episodes in that your current title is Chairman Emeritus. Is that correct? That is correct. And because of that, so I think that's kind of another way of saying that you're you're sort of retired. Is that well, kind of accurate? I'm, yeah, I guess you could say I'm sort of retired. I, 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 my goal is to never retire. The, I just don't have any interest in retiring, but I am much less involved. It was close to 20 years ago I turned the CEO and chairman role over to my son, Jeff. And he and my oldest daughter... He's our CEO. My oldest daughter is our COO. And then I have a grandson who is also Tim Brady. Um, okay, that's the famous. That's the famous that's Tim the Brady. Famous one, right. Yeah. Okay. He's famous because he's doing so well. Okay. So so that's that's great. And so because of your less involved status, although you were a sponsor with NBDA, I think from the beginning your uh, kind of day-to-day involvement with NBDA has kind of diminished uh, over the years. And so because of that, we're going to cut out the section where we talk all about NBDA since you're not as active in that. So, but a question that I'm dying to ask 
is because you and I are big fans of of the famous Christine Spray. Now she is famous. So do you remember how you first met her and like what your impression was? Oh my goodness. I believe that it was Kevin Comiskey that introduced us. Gosh, not quite a hundred years ago, but a long time ago. Okay. Um, I know Kevin. Yeah, yes. Yeah, Kevin, don't hold that against me. <laughs> I won't. Okay. Kevin Kevin was the one that introduced us. And I unfortunately I don't recall now what created the opportunity to meet Christine. But then in later years, you're really making me think here, and I'm not coming up with good answers, but uh, I have been a huge fan of Christine for many years. She has been a huge help to me. I think of her as a mentor. She's a great coach. She has done some work for us here at the firm, but she has helped me in so many different ways that I'm forever beholding her. Okay. Well, good. Yeah, we're, we're, uh, so we're, that's, they always tell you, you should try to find common ground with your guest right away. So I think we have our common ground established, both uh, big fans of Christine. Absolutely. So let's get into your background. So I'd kind of like to to hear the whole story. I believe that you're not a native Houstonian, but that you originally are from someplace colder and more Eastern Ohio. Is that correct? That is correct. Originally, I'm from Cleveland, <clears throat> Cleveland, Ohio, actually a suburb called Lakewood. And I was born and raised there many, many years. I got into the insurance business first there. That was back in 1963, I believe, with Liberty Mutual. And then I ended up traveling, moving around, transferring quite a bit. I went from Cleveland to Toledo, Ohio, back to Cleveland as a sales manager to Chicago as a district manager, and then I left Liberty, joined a national firm, and was with them for about 10 years, and moved with them from Chicago to Los Angeles, Houston. I was in Houston for a couple of years in the late 70s, then to Minneapolis a couple of years, then I came back to Houston in 81, and I've been here ever since. Okay, so you are... I- I ended Go ahead. up buying their agency. I ended up buying their agency, the national firm agency here in Houston. Oh, okay. And, uh, created Grady Chapman House. Okay. So, so that's another thing we have in common. We're both naturalized Houstonians, right? Not native Houstonians, but, yes. but naturalized. You've been I here a couple like years. That term. Yeah, you've been here a, just a few years longer. I arrived here in 1987. So, so that's good. So let's now kind of get into the, to the heart of this. So you, you bought the agency and so you really, you kind of through that purchase is when you really became an entrepreneur. Is that right? Or in a way, were you an entrepreneur already just because of the nature of the insurance business and being in a rainmaker capacity? From that standpoint, yes. But I, didn't truly become an entrepreneur until I bought the agency. <clears throat> I came here in 81. I guess I bought it in 82. And then in 83, we formed Brady Chapman Holland. Okay. So what, if you think back to that time, what were you excited about 
about entering entrepreneurship and what, and did any of it give you a pause or concern? Oh my goodness. I had lots of concern. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I was scared to death. Um, the, at the time I, I did not have a lot of extra cash. So I was struggling on even purchasing the agency. Okay. Um, and I went to a banker who helped me figure out how to do it. <clears throat> and, uh, I did it, and it's the best thing I ever did in my life. Well, there's other things like carriage and families and what have you, but from a business standpoint, <clears throat> by far the best thing I ever did. Yeah, it seems like it's worked out uh, okay uh, 40 years later, right? It's worked out super. That's good. So when, when you bought the agency, do you remember how many people were there? We started out with oh when I when I first bought the agency oh my goodness yeah. there were probably uh, three and then when I got together with Ed Chapman and Lonnie Holland in '83 we started out BTH with probably maybe seven employees and uh, today we've got between the BTH and we also have a separate personal insurance operation, but between the two operations, we have about 100 employees now. Oh, wow. That's, uh, that's quite a bit of growth. We've, we've, done, we've been very fortunate, very fortunate. What do you attribute that growth to other than your fearless leadership? It, I'll, I'll tell you what. More of the growth, I, I credit my son and my grandson, to be honest with you. Okay. Talk to me. Talk to me about that. Why do you Why do you say that? Well, I did well. I I was the the primary. I was the chairman and CEO um, of uh, BCH. But back in I guess it was eighty four. What's the eighty three? Eighty four. My daughter joined us. And in eighty five, my daughter's name is Janet Park. And in eighty five, my son. I could go into a longer story on how that all occurred, but he, he moved down here from Illinois to join us. <clears throat> and then he's grown incredibly with the business and has been a major factor in even more of a sales atmosphere as I had created over my years. As Jeff is a great salesperson. He's, he's a great people person. He and I are, are quite different. I'm uh, I'm a quick start, if you're familiar with the Colby. I am, actually. Um, and, and he is, he is uh, not. He's, he's more, I forget what the first column is. Fact, fact finder, which fact is what finder. I am. High fact more finder. more of a fact finder. That's exactly right. <clears throat> he's much more of a fact finder, which has worked very well for him. The, he always kids that, you know, in the old ready-aim fire, I, I never got those in the right order. I usually started with fire. Sure. And he's, he's more ready, ready, ready. But anyway, yeah. he has helped me immensely. He and Jan, my daughter, both have helped me immensely in developing the culture that is BCH. Okay. And I have to say that between his sales skills and the culture and the, the depth, to, they have been enormous in the success of BCH both from a uh, sales standpoint as well as from a cultural standpoint. Okay. 
Does that answer your question? It does. I no, I think that's that's excellent. Yeah, no, no, no. That's that's what this is all about. Short questions and long answers. That's how it's supposed to work. The guest is supposed to do most of the talking. So how would you describe the culture uh, and what do you think makes the culture um, special? The, the attitude of the executive group, we have found that in, in our hiring process, and especially in, in putting together the executive group, we have been very much involved. You'll hear me comment on this a number of times, probably. We're very people do business with people, and, and we go out of our way to share communication as well as sharing profits. We share a lot with our service teams, our employees. Okay. We're very, very much involved. We're, we're I mean, um, being sincere, uh, being trustworthy, being honest. All of those are traits that are critical to us in the hiring process. If we don't have people that fit that category, then we don't have an interest in bringing them on board. The ones okay. That we do bring on board, stay with us for a very long time, and uh, are very much involved in uh, the hiring process and recommending additional people that went as we've continued to grow. Many, many of our hires as a result of our culture and uh, as a result of the employees' recommendations. Okay. Again, well, I, th I think I babbled a little bit there. Did I answer your question? You did. You did. I, I asked what made the culture special. And I think in summary, you said that, that you all are people-oriented because you're in the people business. Your employees are people. Your clients are people. The insurance companies you work with have people. So that that makes perfect sense. So let's talk a bit about business development in terms of just through the years, what have you found that works? What are some different ideas you've you've had? Let's just kind of turn the conversation to, to business development. If if I was uh, if I was like brand new, say I was a brand new producer at your company, isn't that the term used in the insurance business? Yeah, producer? we yeah, we producers in our case, we refer to all of our producers as uh, risk advisors. Okay. Yeah, that's, that because sounds that's less things, pushy. Yeah, and that's one of the things that differentiates, just touching briefly on the insurance side, um, one of the things that differentiates us is that our focus is more on control, helping our clients control risk than it is on insurance itself. I see. Because, yeah, and then the risk, I like that. I like that term because the the producer term I always thought sounded, what's, what's the word? Just very pushy. transactional, pushy, transactional. That So I, I like that approach that if you help companies reduce their risk, then um, that's a much better place to start than, than trying to hit your monthly sales quota, right? Very much so. Very much so. So if somebody was a, a brand new risk advisor, risk advisor, is that the, what, 
might be some suggestions you would have for them if as they're trying to kind of develop their network and their uh, book of business, if you will? Well, let me, if I, if, okay, you're wanting to talk about the brand new producers and that's, that's tough. I mean, it's tough for any brand new. Okay. Well, let's talk about, yeah, go ahead. Risk advisors, brand new ones. When they're first coming in, it's very, very difficult. And one of the things that we look for in bringing on new risk advisors, if you don't mind using uh, me using that term. Sure. uh, One of the things that we look for is uh, people that not only obviously have people skills, we do testing, we do the Colby, and we do some other testing. But in that in that process, we're looking for uh, risk advisors that have networks already of people that they know. Sure. So that they've got the ability to go out and develop potential clients through the relationships that they already have, whether those people be potential clients themselves or be what we call centers of influence or coin. Okay. So, so good point. And so thank you for, for kind of clarifying it. So let me kind of restate my question then with somebody who's more experienced. What are some of the things that that you might recommend a more experienced risk advisor be doing on like on a regular basis? Well, one of, one of the things I think that you have uh, uh, talked about in the past are best practices. And I would say that there are three that if the risk advisors follow these, can't help but be successful. Okay. The first, the first is to make sure you're taking great care of existing clients. Okay. The simple reason for that is not only to retain those clients, but they are also your best source of referral. Sure. And that's where we get most all of our business is from referral. Even okay. Even be coming in they're going to they're going to be going to their network of people they know in order to have them help them people like to help people mm-hmm. so that if you've got a good relationship with your existing clients or with your friends or with whomever you've got the ability they they're going to want to help you and if you ask them to, to help give you the names of some people that you could help they're going to be happy to do it Okay. true with the clients or the centers of influence. So that's one. Okay. Um, uh, second, I'm, I'm a huge believer in learning sales techniques. Words mean a lot, and using them properly means a lot. But while sales techniques are very, very important to understand, you've always got to be sincere. You've always got to be honest. You've always got to be caring your prospective mm-hmm. client. And if you don't do those things, you're in trouble. Okay. The third item would be we, as a firm, are in the service business. We're selling an intangible product. Yep. So we have always got to remember what I said earlier. People do business with people. 
they do business with people they trust, and they do people with do, do business with people they like. So okay. in your networking efforts, you've got to, and that's where it helps immensely to have the referral from a client or from a center of influence. But you've you've already taken a big step forward as far as building trust. Because that's sure. where those people trust you or they wouldn't have recommended you. Sure. And, and now you've got to develop uh, a relationship with these folks where they not only trust you, but they like you. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many, how, how much business do you do with people you don't like? <laughs> uh, zero. Yeah, right. And um, so I think those are critical in the whole networking process. Okay. And again. I hope I didn't babble too much there. No, no, that is, that is great. So I was taking, feverishly taking notes. So I had that the, the three best practices, first, make sure you're taking great care of existing clients. Second, that you're a believer in learning sales techniques because words mean a lot. And then the third one, I think I was so busy listening. I didn't write it down. What was the third best practice? Um, Remember, <coughs> excuse me. Remember that uh, people do business with people. Okay. They do business with people they trust and with people they like. Gotcha. Business. And with- one thing, going back to the sales technique. Uh, while the sales techniques are critical, and I'm a huge believer in training risk advisors, any salespeople, and and proper use of technique. It's it's also critical that they don't come across as a robot that is just use sales BS as you know it. Right, um, just that, that aren't just reciting across. a script. Right, they're coming across as being very sincere, very honest, very caring. That's the way they're going to develop the relationship. Okay. No, that those are those are great best practices, not just for the insurance business, but any business. And you can kind of argue for life. Absolutely, absolutely. Let me let me share, if you don't mind. Let me show you share one other story. Um, yeah, please. One of one of our risk advisors here does a good job of this, but he he recently he all of his business comes from referrals from either clients or from centers of influence. Yeah. He, on a regular basis, has done this, but in the last few weeks, he has sent out an email. I don't know if he did it in an email or if he did it in an actual letter. I think it was an email. To many of his clients and centers in which he gave them the name of 10 companies that he feels he can help in helping them control risk and, and obviously control their insurance costs. Um, but he doesn't have any entree to those companies. Mm-hmm. Those are companies that are companies that would be great clients of ours that we could help, but he doesn't have any entree to them. Do any of you know somebody at any of these accounts that you could get me introduced to? In this case, he has got introductions now to three of those prospects that he had no contact with at all before. 
That's great. All because of all because of his satisfaction from his clients, <clears throat> as well as his centers of influence, understanding how we do business, and being very open to to recommending us to some of their clients. I, I really like that, and I have used this myself in the past, and I realize that now I haven't used it. Uh, recently enough. You've inspired me to do that. And what I find about it that, that's so helpful is that when you just ask somebody, hey, who do you know who might be a good prospect for us? That's kind of a lazy way of doing it, right? And the person you're asking like doesn't even know where to begin because they know thousands of people and how do they like even know where to start and how do they know for sure what's a good prospect for you but when you change the question and that you by the way he's doing that if i received that email i would say well first off he probably did some research he probably just didn't pick 10 names out of the phone book no question oh yeah Yeah, so he did some research and it he he made my life much easier I don't really have to think very much. I just go through the list. Don't know anyone here. Don't know anyone here. Don't know anyone here. Know somebody here. And then, so I look through it and I'm like, okay, there's 10 people. I know people at one or two of the companies. So yeah, I'd be happy to make an introduction. And so I'm imagining as the recipient, it takes 30 seconds to read that email. It takes two minutes to reply back. Yes. At ABC company, I know Bob Jones. I'd be happy to, uh, do an introduction. If you like, I could just send an email introduction indicating that we're really happy with uh, the work you've, that you've done with us. And we think that they would benefit meeting you. Is that kind of the, the approach? Sure. Yes. Uh-huh. You know, the other thing that I've done in that circumstance that I don't know if your person has thought about is, I don't know if you've noticed, but I find it to be much easier to edit a first draft that somebody else created than it is to try to craft something from scratch. So something I would do there is if they do uh, know somebody and they reply back and they say, yeah, I know Bob Jones over there. I might reply back and say, "Um, Hey, to make your life easier, here's a draft of an email that you might send them, you know, maybe change it to, to be in your own words and I find that to be really helpful too, because you've just made it that much easier for the person to make the introduction. And I've found they usually don't even change the language because you've what you've said is appropriate and accurate and it's not real pushy. Do you know if he actually goes to that step too? And that and we'll and, and okay. that is something I have I have trained the, the guys over the years on guys in jail. Um, is yes. I mean, make it as easy as possible for these uh, folks. And in many cases, that's, that's exactly what will happen. You put together a draft for them. The other thing is what he'll do is, in, in many cases, what we're trying to do is to get the client to set up a lunch. Okay. So we can meet them casually over lunch. Yeah. And so in many cases, what the client might be doing is, is or the center of influence might be doing is picking up the phone and say, hey, you know, how about joining me for lunch? I've got somebody I want you to meet. And what what we do then 
is simply give the client several points that are critical to make in the process so that they've got the, you know, like the sales technique. They've got the proper words to use to, right. to convince the prospective client that this is going to be time well spent and to agree to, to having a, a lunch. I, I remember one uh, number of years back, it ended up being a very large client for me in which I had convinced one of my clients to, uh, to, in fact, they volunteered when I brought up the name of the company. They volunteered to set up a lunch. And it wasn't a day or two later, I got a call back and he said, uh, I'm sorry, but he said, uh, we're not going to be able to do lunch. Oh, my goodness, what happened? He said, well, we're going to play golf instead. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's a heck of a deal. That's even even better. Now, when like you that. now when the client sets up this lunch, let's say it was lunch. Even though the client set it up, do you who do you expect to pick up the the check for lunch? Oh, I do. I mean, sure, I, we do. We oh, absolutely. Oh, no question. Yeah, no, we do absolutely. Yeah, no, I knew that would be your answer. I just didn't want yeah. to uh, ask oh, yeah. a leading question. Yeah, you, you, so, <laughs> so you don't you don't ask your client to set up the lunch, go to all the trouble, and then stick the client with the the, the check. You don't you don't do it that way, huh? <laughs> no, we we don't find that works real well. <laughs> yeah, how how not to encourage a client to set up a lunch to meet a prospect? <laughs> stick stick the client with the the lunch What's check. Right. And yeah. and order and order the the lobster, the surf and turf, and have dessert <laughs> and have coffee and stick the client with the check, huh? That's not going right. to be the best way to yeah, go. That probably won't work well. <laughs> that's great. What? So lunch, perhaps if if the client's really enthusiastic, maybe setting up a round of golf. What are some of the other ways that? you have seen is uh, useful in receiving a favorable introduction to to a prospect that you'd like to meet well one one of them is i've i've picked up from christine as a matter of fact okay you you simply via email you uh, give them both each other's contact information so that they're both open to make contact with the other, and whichever one wants to can go ahead and do it. So if if the if it's the if if Christine has sent an, an email out saying, "Hey, uh, David, I would like you to to meet Tim Brady. I think you could be of help to you. Here's both of your contact information. I'll leave it up to the two of you to make contact and and let me know if I can know very well." That has worked very. Doesn't work. I don't like that as well as the face to face, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, but well, that, if you can't get the face to face, that works quite well. Yeah, I mean that sounds like a great idea. I just my only question is why did she share that with you, but she didn't bother sharing it with me? I'm going to apparently have to have a talk with my wife about you know about who I, she's giving. Yeah. I was going to say maybe she likes me better than you, but you know, whatever. apparently, <laughs> apparently that apparently that is the case because when you hear her talk about Tim Brady, she talks about you in the same way she does her dog, 
I mean, pure as the driven snow, can do nothing wrong. Just an angel like both of you. I can't All tell right, if she's talking on. about our dog or Tim Brady. All right, move on. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, a variation of that email that I have found that, that I really like. So let's say that I have a client and I want to introduce him to one of your risk advisors. Okay. And so I'm sending this email that we're talking about. And, and let's say I'm introducing your grandson. Okay. Does your grandson still do risk advisor work? Oh my goodness. Yes. Okay. So I'm introducing them to the president of ABC company. One of the things, the little slight things you talk about how words matter. I'll send an email that says something like, you know, Bob, I really think, you know, Bob slash Tim, I really think the two of you would benefit from meeting one another. And then what I'll say in the next sentence, I'll start a new paragraph and I'll say, Tim, will you please reach out to Bob and schedule a time to meet? Because now Tim is obligated to call Bob, right? right? Because I've asked him as a favor to me to call Bob. So now when he calls Bob, he's not being pushy. He's just honoring Dave's request that he call. Because otherwise I find if you don't do that, it's maybe who's going to reach out first, you know, and you don't, you know, it's like high school dating, right? You don't want to seem too eager, but by doing it that way, I take all the, the pressure off the prospect. They don't have to do anything. But now Tim Brady, the famous Tim Brady, is no, he's not being pushy. He's just, hey, you know, I'm just doing what Dave told me to do. So, and when he I calls, like that a lot, Dave. I like that good, a lot. good. And the other benefit of that is when he calls and he gets the, let's say he makes a call instead of an email and he gets the assistant. And she's like, may I tell Bob Jones what this is in regard to? Yes. David Spray sent an email introducing us, and he specifically asked me to call Bob. So that's why I'm, I'm calling. So good. I'm glad you like it. I'm glad I could that this could be a two-way street. You could add some just, uh, stuff for me, and I could help you. You just used another word that I, I like a lot, and that's specific. He specifically asked me to. Yes. It's, you know, I didn't even, has, yeah. Has an impact. And you know, I didn't even really think that much about the wording I was using, but yeah, uh-huh. you're, you're right. Specifically. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so it turns out we, we both have a, a, an idea or two on business development. What I'd love to hear a war story or two from you. And this really doesn't have to be business development related. This could be a just kind of a business example. So maybe here's an example. Maybe like a client that you thought was lost. You know, the client called you up and they said, hey, good news and bad news. The good news is our insurance rates are going down 3%. The bad news is somebody else found those reduced rates and we no longer need you. Best of luck. So... I'm guessing over your 40-year career, that maybe has happened one time. Did you ever have a case where you were able to transform that from that to actually end up retaining the work and the client being happy with you? Can you think of a case where that's ever happened? And could you kind of tell the story? You don't have to give any oh, specific well, names. I can, yeah, I, I can say that there's a lot of those cases. I mean, so many cases, you know, the, the client 
the client has been given a line of BS. Okay. In, in so many cases, and I've done this so many times, I don't have a particular one to, to, uh, to identify. But a client will come, I mean, and here again, if, you, if you've been doing the job that you're supposed to be doing and servicing this client and building the relationship, having the trust, and uh, them liking you and wanting to do business with you. You should um, never get that call, right? If you've done or, your job or right. If you do, they're calling you. If you do, they're calling you to say, "Hey, here's what's going on." You know, it looks like this is something we ought to consider. Help me evaluate. Okay, they're giving right. you a chance. They're giving you a chance. Sure. sure. And and even if they didn't approach it that way, you go back to them that way and, and get the opportunity to get in and see what's really going on. And you find out that the whole story is a whole lot different than what, what was originally presented, what they, at least what they perceived as being presented. Okay. No, I think, I, think, I mean, if you're involved with servicing existing accounts, you're going to run into that kind of situation a fair amount. Mm -hmm. but if you've got the kind of relationship that you should have and have developed over the years. That's just going to be an opportunity for you. Okay. I can see that. Well, wow. I cannot believe how the time has, has flown by. I have three questions remaining for you. Uh-oh. Yep. And so the first two or kind of trick questions, if you will, but but they're not going to be uh, impossible. So the first one is, let's just say that you could go back in time and give some advice to the 25-year-old Tim Brady with the perspective that you have of being several, having several decades more life experience than the 25-year-old Tim Brady. Is there any advice that comes to mind that you might give to yourself? Well, I, I guess it would be one of the things that I did very well when I got started in this business, because I didn't know insurance at all <clears throat> when I first got started back in the mm -hmm. 80s, oh my goodness. The, but one of the first things I did is absolutely focused 100% on learning the business. Okay. So that Technically, I was confident. I know that many sales coaches now today will talk to you about you don't need to be a technician. Um, you just need to be the uh, salesperson and know the techniques. Yep. And there'll be I've other heard this. people that can support you. I don't happen to be a proponent of that. Okay. I think that in order to, to have the confidence and sincerity and, <clears throat> and show, the, uh, show the confidence, You've got to know what the heck you're talking about. Especially if your I business card, sorry to interrupt, especially if your business uh -huh. card says risk advisor, it kind right. of implies a certain level of knowledge and expertise. That's right. That's right. But I guess the, the one thing as, as a new advisor, the new salesperson is getting out, and especially if they have, well, not especially, assuming that they have clients or at least they've got <clears throat> some kind of centers of influence. The thing that so many salespeople do not do 
is a very simple thing called asking. I okay. can't tell you how many times I have talked to our risk advisors about a given situation and have you asked ABC Corporation, Bob Jones, have you asked them for somebody that they feel that you could be of service to? Well, no, I haven't. Why not? Yes. I mean, salespeople, you would think salespeople would be, that would be a natural. Believe me, it's not. They okay. hesitate to ask. And I guess, you know, if there's one big, simple item that would help all of them to learn to ask for referrals and Okay. And I guess really at a bigger level, maybe it's just, that's a life lesson, right? Learn to ask for what you want. Because if you don't, if you never ask the universe what you want, you're probably not going to get what you want. Oh, absolutely. Totally agree. Okay. So that's, that's great. I, I appreciate that. Any other advice you might give to yourself, personal, professional, anything else that comes to mind? My goodness, lots of things. I guess I guess that one of the things that I, I this can go both ways, but I I in my early years was absolutely a workaholic. In fact, probably more than my early years. Okay. I I really appreciate seeing my son, my grandson, the way they they certainly work a lot, but they do a lot better job of balancing the personal life and the work life. And I think so important. I mean, you you definitely. I mean, it you use an athlete, use Michael Jordan, use whoever you want. I mean, those people, in order to be as good as they were, obviously have to be focused on it. Damn near twenty four hours a day, right? And I understand that, and I, I certainly appreciate, it. especially as you start a family, you, you've got to make sure you've got a certain amount of balance in the family versus the work life. Okay. Yeah, I think that's that's great advice. And and it sounds like although you weren't able to go back in time and give that advice to your 25-year-old self, it sounds like you might have given that advice to your son and grandson. Oh, and, and I, I think, yeah. And I, I've, I think they've, they've seen, they've seen that. Let, let me just say, yes, I have. Okay. Just leave it at that. Sure. Well, and I, and I, and I, I'm imagining what you might've been thinking was that they had witnessed firsthand kind of from as an outsider, what it's like to have a workaholic in your life. And maybe they had a perspective that gave them uh, an understanding. So that's, yeah, that's, that's great. So Tim, I really appreciate not only the business answers to those questions, but I, I appreciate your a willingness to, to really uh, kind of speak from the heart on the, the personal side, because I think that's something that everybody can relate to and, and learn from. So thank you for that. So down to the last two questions. So this one I took from, do you know the law firm Boyer and Miller? I've heard the name. Yeah. So the, the chairman of that firm is a guy by the name of Chris Hanslick, and he has a podcast. And one of the questions he has in his podcast, I really like, and I've started copying. Okay. So this is an easy one. 
If you have a choice, do you prefer barbecue or Tex-Mex food? <laughs> um, if it's really good barbecue, I'll go with the barbecue, but normally I'll go with the Tex-Mex. Okay. Yeah, I'm with you there. I think I can tolerate average Tex-Mex better than I can tolerate average barbecue. Well said. So the last question is, is there anything that we didn't talk about that you think we should have? No, we've talked about, we've talked about a lot. I guess I will add one thing. Okay. And one of the things that's very difficult for any sales art is to, to stay focused on those in that business development and and to recharge your battery at times. Okay. You're obviously not always up. You're not always doing your best. And one of the things that I have found has been very helpful and, and I think that all salespeople should have is some kind of an accountability partner. Somebody that can help them keep themselves accountable. I don't care how good you are and how well you think you hold yourself accountable. Unless you're sharing that with a partner uh, and having them help to hold you accountable, it's not going to be as effective as it could be with that accountability partner. Okay. So have somebody to hold you accountable in, in some right. capacity. And, 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 and the mentoring that I do with some of the risk advisors right now, that's the primary thing that I do is, is I, I commit them to, to identifying, let's say, on a weekly basis, what are the two or three key things that you're going to get done, key revenue-producing things that you're going to get okay. done. And then the next week, we talk about results of that and what are the two or three things for this week. Okay. That's excellent advice. It's easy to do, but people don't do it. Yep, yep. Well, that is great. Well, Tim, thank you so much for being on the show. It was really fun to catch up with you. And and I know going into it, you weren't sure that you could add a lot of value, but you really have. Your business experience and life experience has, has resulted in really some, some great gems that, that people can really learn from and appreciate. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Well, you have, you have made this very enjoyable. I've had a great time. Well, that is great. Well, I, I'm glad to hear it. Well, hey, you enjoy your afternoon in Houston, and we will catch up another time, okay? Thank you, Dave. I appreciate Thank it. Thank you. And there we have it, another great episode. Don't forget to check out the show notes at podcast.nbda.co. And you can find out more about being a member of the National Business Development Association at nbda.co. That's it for this episode. Have a great week and we'll talk to you next time.